Thank you, worship team. My goodness. Um, you know, I don't know about you guys. I don't know if you can sense atmospheres at all or discern the presence of the Lord. But boy, oh boy, standing in the back, I could just see the peace of God. Just And it was beautiful and it was displayed in the atmosphere, but it was also displayed through love. And there were examples of love that took place, whether it was Micah coming up or Ashley coming up saying, I was going to fight. But guess what? The power of God intervened in her life. She was exposed to an atmosphere of love of God that transformed what she thought into what he thought. And so now she responds out of what he thinks. So it just it was just beautiful. And thank you, Margie, for bringing in that, just the peace of God, because as it transcends everybody, everybody feels it. And this is, might be a little weird, but it's more of a spiritual realm. It transforms how we think, feel, and how we operate in life. And, and it really kind of sets me up, actually, for a pretty good, um, a pretty good entrance into a sermon. Because today, you know, I'm talking about something that's near and dear to my heart and its missions and its giving. Two kind of topics that used to be taboo for me. Not being, not being saved, not believing, kind of wondering why would people go off to foreign lands. Missions isn't just about foreign lands, but, but why would people give to a church or give to these people to go off to foreign lands? Didn't make any sense to me. Of course, then I was saved, and that changed, and it changed because I went on a mission trip. Um, but real quick, let's just, let's just pray. I want to uh, just pray for a minute, and then, you know, Lord, I just thank you. I thank you, Father, for loving us, loving us through everything, loving us through every experience, every trial, every event, being right beside us so that we can lean on you and that we can then respond how you would respond. Thanks to you for transforming us into a kingdom mindset and bringing us to a place of glory that we couldn't even imagine. We couldn't even imagine. And I just, Lord, I just ask that what I speak today will be truth, truth in your word. And Father God, it would resonate. And I just thank you, Lord, for preparing the way for me. And I thank you, Father, that we entered your gates with thanksgiving and praise. And I thank you, Lord, that you know, we get the honor of doing that. And so, Father, I just am so, so grateful. And we bless you, Father God, and we thank you in Jesus' name. All right, let's see here. Get my notes. I do have notes. I would like to try to stick to them, but I can't promise that. Um, so before I get started, and I already started, but before I really go into kind of the... Um, you know, where, where I got started with missions, why it's important to me. Um, you know, today, and there's a stool. Today is really, I have to say it, I mean, it's all about God, certainly all about love. But this is a lot about me standing right here today. And I say that because I've resisted this. I've been a stubborn Christian. I don't know if anyone's ever been a stubborn Christian. But I've been um, somebody that has pushed away getting up in front of groups and speaking. And God still has wooed me into that. 
He's wooed me into that in all kinds of different ways, through dreams and visions, seeing different times where I've actually been up in front of people talking, but also then as a career path. He's opened doors for me in my job because that, you know, like Lori was saying, can become our idol, right? It's become not necessarily my idol anymore, but it's something I was good at. I was good at working. I was good at doing that. I could absorb myself in that, push away the cares of the world and be just solely focused on that. So um, about five years ago, you know, a door opened for me to go into sales. At, and it's sales where I'm up in front of groups of people talking, talking about our products. It's work-focused, but really it's preparation. It's preparation for what God wants me to do with the kingdom. Maybe it's only today. Today could be it. Today could be the only time that I speak in front of people to honor God in this capacity. But I've yielded my will to him and... I'm grateful and thankful, Teresa, and I don't know what Pat is, that hey Pat, um, that you guys, one, trust me, trust God, love well as an example to all of us, and have allowed me to sit up here, and, and I don't, I mean, I don't take this lightly, sit up in front of a congregation that you guys are pastoring, right? Because as pastors and teachers, you're responsible for this flock, and so thank you for trusting me to do that, trusting me to get up in front, share about the gospel, and then exercise those gifts. I, I can't say thank you enough. I appreciate it, it um, because it's a, um, I don't know even how to say it. It is an obedience move for me because of that love and because of your love for me. Thank you. Thank you for just asking. I appreciate it. Um, all right. So, couple things. Missions, why is it important to me? Well, I was transformed by it. Um, I was saved about a year when I went on my first mission trip. I had, at that point, never prayed for anybody. I think I raised my hands in worship, right? That was, that was the extent of it. Prior to that year, I was unchurched. You know, I, would, I went to a non-denomination until I was 11. Then I was in the world until I was 30. So lots of, uh, you know, not so good activity, but either way, I went on a missions trip for two weeks to Brazil with uh, Randy Clark, and it wasn't focused on building buildings. It wasn't focused on digging ditches, digging wells. You know, it wasn't focused on anything other than praying for people that were sick. And so it was downright unbelievable, and if I hadn't written a journal, I wouldn't believe some of the things that I saw today, right? Because I can go back and I can read it and I can see, it takes me right back to that place where God was transformational for me. It, it became alive, right? How do you rationalize, and I'm a left brain guy, um, how do you rationalize walking into a room where people are worshiping, getting within, say, 20 feet, so say I mean, from me to um, Keith and Patty away, and I just start crying uncontrollably. What is that? And then I, with the people I'm with, I pull one of the ladies in with me. She gets to where I'm at. She starts bawling. What is that? Right? It's the presence of God. It's that same presence that brought peace here and love. Hit me. But out of that, out of that environment of worship, a young boy who was five years old, hadn't walked in two and a half years, got up on stage and started walking. No one laid hands on him to walk. 
It was just glorifying God, right? Through thanksgiving and praise, transformation took place. So that was one of the first things I saw. I didn't, I didn't have a box for that. I didn't have a place to put it. It was so far removed from what reality was for me that I, I couldn't even connect the two. I was so confounded with whether or not what just happened actually happened. But it was a series of events. The first night, went to a church. There was a group of 50 of us that went. I purposely went, broke off from the four people I was with, went by myself to a church. They just broke up the team, and I went with four people. And we went to a church that was probably twice the size of this room, maybe three, 400 people packed out, and give the message, and they say, okay, who's coming home forward for prayer? The prayer team's ready. There's four of us. Everybody. It was, again, confounding to the mind. Everybody came forward for prayer, and we were just praying, praying, praying. People, three or four people away from the line that you're praying are falling out. I mean, never seen it before, right? They've just fallen out and out cold in the Lord. Healed, delivered, saved, you name it. A lady, probably 90 years old, came right up the middle to me. First person I prayed for, she said, what was that? I, I want that. What is that? It's the Holy Spirit. I led somebody to Christ. The first prayer crying anointing, Pat, the crying anointing is coming. Um, so it was transformational, right? And so my heart's for missions for sure. Um, and they need support. So we'll talk about giving because I think I kind of have a little bit of anointing for that and how it, how it transforms. And it's not related to the tithe. I'm going to let a pastor teach on the tithe. I'm just going to teach on, you know, how I feel about giving. Um, but that, that's, you know, kind of phase one, phase two of, you know, the exposure to missions, we did go to Kenya, and I went with Pat and Teresa. I'll talk a little bit about that later in the family that we met and the reason we met and kind of the connection with Cots on them. But I also want to touch on, you know, when God calls you into the mission field, what can take place? And I don't know, is anyone in here at all into genealogy? All right, we got a hand. We got one. We got two. Okay, that's good. I mean, you're not going to get a quiz. I, I am not. I was not, and I didn't really even know what, honestly, it was. But I have a mom who is, and, you know, my grandma who's now passed away, they were intimate with it. Um, they traced our family back lineage-wise to the Mayflower on my mom's side, back to a small town in Switzerland called Regatz. And how does that relate to today? Well, in that lineage, there was a man by the name of David Livingstone. So direct descendant. Now, you guys are wooing. I'm like, who's that? Right? My mom tells, who's that guy? And she's like, well, Dr. Livingstone, I presume. And I'm like, I presume what? Right? I had no idea what she was talking about. Apparently, that's, you know, David Livingstone's uh, trusted companion, Stanley, a phrase that he would refer to him by. But so she said, well, he's famous. I'm like, okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm not an avid reader, but I'm a reader. So I got a book by him and I started reading. Now, this was right around when I was saved. And just kind of the, the history of David Livingstone, you know, he was responsible for pretty much evangelizing Africa, the northern part of it. He was an avid learner. So at 10 years old, and I think about this because I have a 9-year-old and 11-year-old, he went to work in a factory, 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. 
six days a week in a factory. With his first check, his first money, he bought the Vulgate, which is a book on how to learn Latin, the Latin Vulgate. And he would sit it up at his mill, and he would study Latin as he worked, right? So 10 years old, God is preparing him. Probably wasn't even saved, but he was being prepared. He was being prepared, he was being refined, and had that unquenchable thirst for knowledge. I remember look at Devo, because he got up here. This is funny, the things that stick with you. And he said, you know, I'm really fascinated by the mind, and I'm consuming books on the mind. And I, I thought back on that, and I thought, that's really cool, but that's preparing you for something. And it's, it's getting that knowledge to prepare. And so for the next 10 years, he was at the factory preparing. And he, um, at that point, got a call on his life, right? The Holy Spirit calls. He was saved. He answered. He went into ministry. And he became, I guess, for all better terms, a minister, a pastor. Um, but he also had been studying medicine. He had been studying um, geology. And he went and was going to evangelize initially to China. Well, at that time, England and China got into a, a war, so he did not. Um, and it turned to Africa. We took a ship for three months. And on that ship during that time, he learned how to navigate by the stars. So he learned how to map. So he took that three months, right, where most people would be bored out of their mind and leveraged the captain and all the, the shipmates to learn and learn and learn. How was he going to apply it? I don't think he had any idea, this being 1840, of what he was going to encounter. He only knew of Africa as a white man's grave. Right? That's what the continent was. It had consumed so many people. Um, but he went with the intent to preach the gospel, and that was it. That's what he was called to do. What did that look like? No idea. He was been preparing his whole life, learning. But did he have an expectation of what Africa was? Probably not. Or what he would encounter? Was it going to be difficult? Was it going to be hard? Can you imagine going across the country, in his case from England, but even from here, to a continent that had never been seen, parts of it never seen by a white person? Right? No idea what he was going to encounter. So, um, But he was just willing to go because of the call of God on his life. And what it amounted to, and I want to read a little bit, is he mapped about a million square miles of Africa, so the continent itself, discovered Victoria Falls. It's a town there that's now, I think, more of a tourist town named Livingstone, right? So he's responsible for traveling, I think, about 40,000 miles within the continent and mapping it. But let me, I'm going to read out of the book because I think it's much more impactful. It'll be the afterward, um, which talks about what he, what he accomplished. And then also, just want to read a couple paragraphs at the end of his life because we talk about what does it look like when you finish the race, right? Paul talks about finishing the race and what does it look like to be well done, good and faithful servant. I think that's what we all aspire, whatever it looks like in terms of your mission field because believe it or not, Cots, by definition, you guys have all been commissioned to the mission field, whatever it looks like. Church on the Street has commissioned you. So if you didn't realize that today, congratulations. You are, you are released into the field of ministry and missions. Um, but let me just read. So I don't yet have Dan Moeller's faith for the eyesight. You know, and he's, I think, what was it, that video? Patty was 45 or 6. I'm 45. He talks about his vision got better, and it's... 2015, 
you're 2010, right? So it's like he's seeing across the room. So he also talked about his blood, which this is a side note, but watch the video, being 99.9% pure, purer than any other human's blood. Coming out of the medical field, a lab background, there are things that all of us are exposed to that all of us have in our blood, and he does not because of his, well, you, you decide. Whatever it might be, you decide. All right. Susie and Chumna buried David Livingston's, this is a little graphic, heart and internal organs under a mulva tree. They, presented his, they preserved his body with salt and sun-dried it for two weeks. So th- this is in right, Christians honor the body, honor the dead. These are guys that were saved through David Livingston's ministry and did what it took to honor the man that they had served in what had um, transpired because they were true brothers in Christ. They wrapped it in calico, then tree bark, then sailcloth. They lashed that bundle to a pole and teared it airtight. They and other natives then carried the bundle for eight months, all the way to Zanzibar, over 1,000 miles. On the way, a stranger encouraged them to abandon the bundle. Schumer explained, no, this is a very, very big man, um, meaning a great man, not necessarily big as in size. The HMS Vulture was sent to carry his body to England, April 18, 1874, Livingstone was buried at Westminster Abbey among the other legends of Britain. So sent to evangelize the gospel was a legend in the country of Britain. Over a period of 32 years in Africa, he had walked, crawled, climbed, waded, canoed, boated, ridden, and been carried over 40,000 miles of, quote, the white man's grave. He took notes, made maps of every step of the way. He told every African he saw the good news about Jesus Christ. His father-in-law, Robert Moffat, said he sacrificed everything, home, lucrative prospects, and earthly honors for one grand object, to carry the gospel of the Son of God to the heart of Africa. Livingstone had such power from the Holy Spirit that in the remotest areas, Africans who cared nothing for anyone's honors in the white world spoke of him decades later. So in 1990, the 10 modern African countries where Livingstone trod, the old native trails had a population of 140 million people. Of the 125 million non-whites in that number, a staggering total of 75 million are Christians. There are today millions upon millions of non-white Christians in the part of Africa got its first taste of the gospel from David Livingstone. What if he said no? Right? He didn't realize the fruits of his labor. This is 1990 that it referenced. He was dead at 60 years old. Um, It was 1873 when he died. So 100 years removed from when the fruit of his labor came to pass. Um, if I remember right through reading from it, there were only a handful of folks that were saved as a result of his direct ministry before he died. But if he had said no, the introduction to the kingdom for that part of Africa potentially could be non-existent. So, but this is, I think, more more telling of the end of his life. It's what re- he really aspired to. And he said the pain was agonizing now. He had Susie bring his medical box. With Susie's help, he took a dose of calomel. Perhaps that would help. When he was alone again, he crawled off his bed, 
On his knees leaned forward, resting his elbows on his mat. He was bleeding profusely. He prayed, let God's will be done. The pain subsided. Yes, surely it was God's mercy for the doom, just as he had felt the pain subside so many years ago in the jaws of a lion. Guys, mission work might be hard. We, at least here in in Argentine, don't have to worry about lions, right? Now, he was in the grip of paradise. Glory must be minutes away. He ended his prayer. For to me to live as Christ, to die as gain. The great moment approached. He'd not failed. He felt the presence of his dear wife, Mary. Glory at last. He ended well, right? Not realizing the fruits of his labor, not knowing that he would be, title this, hero of the faith, lined up with the greatest Christians that we would, we would come to recognize. All he did was say yes. He said yes to the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, right, nothing is impossible. So I think the first scripture should be Luke let me get in my Luke 137, right? Nothing is impossible with God. So when the call of God is on your life, there's, there's nothing that, you know, you guys will not be able to accomplish. Will it be hard? Don't know. Will it be easy? Don't know. Does it matter if it's going to be hard or if it's going to be easy? It doesn't, right? Because we've submitted our lives to the kingdom of God. So whether it's difficult whether it's easy, our focus is on the kingdom. You know, Mike and I were talking in the parking lot, oops, sorry, um, before we came in. That's right. If our goal is to get to the house, and there's walls and walls and walls, our goal is still the house. How do we get there? Let's ask God, right, for some wisdom in how to get there. So, yeah. So when the Holy Spirit calls you, the task may seem impossible, but with God, nothing is. Keep hitting that. I was worrying about flailing with my hands and having the mic out here instead of flailing my hands into the mic. So I just want to talk to you guys a little bit about what missions are, um, what are missionaries, you know, why are there missions, what does it look like. But to start off, so I define missions as assignments from God. So if we look at Matthew 28, you know, uh, scripture that we're all going to be familiar with, 28, 19, and 20. Um, but they're assignments from God. He commanded us to go. He's going to provide what we need when we go, right? So go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations. There's a going in that. There's people that need to be discipled. Does it mean somebody in this room is going to Africa? Maybe, maybe. Does it mean you're going to Linden? Does it mean you're going to Heartland? Does it mean you're going to Detroit, Saginaw, Flint, wherever? Just be willing to go when the Spirit calls you. So a lot of it from Livingstone is about preparation. Right? Like Dave O's reading the books, it's preparation for what God wants to do through you for his kingdom. You're a tool in his toolbox. He's preparing you to be used. Right? And for the right time. For the right time. Um, we just have to be willing to yield and don't do what I did. Don't be stubborn. Right? Don't, don't push it off as this isn't something I should be doing. This isn't something I want to be doing. I'm really not stirred to do this. This is Forget all that. That's all absorbed with self, right? Push yourself away and just do what the king wants you to do. It's a, it's a humbling place to be, 
but it's a peaceful place to be as well because you don't have to rely on anybody else to accomplish anything else. So missionaries, um, they're defined as a person sent by the church into an area to carry on evangelical work. So I define it as their sent ones, also defined as apostles. Um, if we look at Acts 13, 2 and 3, it talks about um, Barnabas and Saul, right? While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed, laid hands on them, and they sent them away. So they are called to carry out the work of the kingdom, set apart by the Holy Spirit. But who sets them apart? The Holy Spirit does. When? When it's his time. Right? He didn't say, call this person. Barnabas and Saul, you guys have been highlighted. Your turn to go. Let's pray. Let's go. And away they went. Why were they going? What did they, what was it for? Well, if, if they're called and set apart and sent, right? Romans talks about, and pull up Romans 10, talks about if they're not going to go, who's going to hear, right? So let's, let's read it. But if they're, they're sent, it's for a purpose. Just like David Livingstone's purpose was to evangelize and share Jesus Christ with unreached people at whatever cost, at whatever it looked like. And he did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I can do the same. So when it talks about, I think, I like 14, how then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How should they hear without a preacher? And how should they preach unless they are sent? So there's a process. Somebody needs to get sent in order to share the gospel. Each and every one of us was shared, had the gospel shared to us by technically somebody that was sent our way. A divine appointment. Maybe lots and lots of seeds were planted. Maybe you were stubborn like me and heard about it and heard about it and heard about it and wanted nothing to do with it or pushed it away until you couldn't resist anymore, right? Maybe you had people interceding for you, praying for you, there's so many different aspects of missions that are beyond just giving and going that I think we at certain times need to tap into as people in the kingdom of God. That is prayer. That is fasting. That's intercession, right? That's support. That's a hug. That's whatever it takes. And, you know, Livingston did some amazing things. It was credited with doing some amazing things. But it's, it doesn't have to be in Africa. It doesn't have to be going on a boat. It doesn't have to be the grand going of like folks like Paul. It can be something simple. And I want to share, you know, just kind of a quick testimony of what missionary work looks like here, right? And so somebody shared with me, and it's not, it's somebody who's awesome, somebody who's amazing, right? It's my wife, um, who's focused and in tune with God, right? So she's, she's exercising her gift of prophecy, being sensitive to what God wants her to do anywhere she goes. So she was at a godly place, an amazing place called Goodwill, you know, the best deals in 
the world are at goodwill and, you know, no um, godly woman would turn down, especially my wife would not turn down the opportunity to score a good deal at goodwill. Um, but in that, right, sensitive to what does God want to do. So when she was at Goodwill, she was the second person in line to check out. So she had found her amazing deal. She was taking it to purchase that amazing deal. And that's when God showed up, right? The cashier had come out of the bathroom, and the lady in front of her, the Nana, cashier comes out and looks like death warmed over, right? Looking really rough and ill. The lady in line, who was, you know, I don't know who she was, so was not sensitive to what God wanted to do. And simply said, look like you had a rough night, right? And, uh, of course, the girl's like, ah, I don't want anything to deal with you. Checks out, and she goes. Anna comes up, right? Having learned what it looks like to be and give love, ask the girl, how are you feeling? Mm, not good, right? Not good, obviously. Can I pray for you, right? Simple, can I pray for you? Well, she could have said no, but she doesn't. She says yes, right? So Anna prays for her. They're both bawling, right? Anna and her, right? The presence of God comes in. I don't know what transforms after that. It was simply the mission field of goodwill, sharing the love of Christ. What Did it look like she evangelized Jesus to her, asked her if she was saved? No. Instead, took what she learned, hugged it out of her, right? And went on her way. Still got a good deal, right? But was way more blessed by that good deal at goodwill because she could share the love of Christ. And it's just that part of what missions look like. That's what it looks like when you walk, when you're walking it out. Sensitive to what God wants to do and being willing to step out, step out of fear, operate in love, right? I think Bill Johnson says you can, you can minister in one of two things. You're ministering in fear or you're ministering in love, right? Out of those two things, all of your kind of responses and the way you minister come. So choose love, right? That's the one way that will get everybody into the kingdom. Um, the, other, the other reason besides just being missionaries sent to share the gospel is uh, found in Acts 13, 9 through 12. So I like this because Barnabas and Paul were sent but they were sent with a purpose. And to me, it's to confront the works of the enemy because in this case, this was where Bar-Jesus was prophesying false, you know, false um, teachings, but influencing the leadership. Well, when Paul and Barnabas got there, right? But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze upon him and said, you are full of all deceit and fraud. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, you will not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. Now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You'll be blind and not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist of darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Right? So the enemy was working. The apostles were sent, sent with a mission to confront darkness, and that's exactly what they did. They confronted darkness head on. And I See, you know, divine appointments. So this morning when I pulled in, I pulled in next to Pickover, and 
I'm going to steal your analogy, Mike. I'm going to do it right now, so forgive me. But the he was um, at Home Depot building a bowling alley and talked about the Lord taught him, right? Three holes in the bowling ball, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And as you bowl down, right, Christians were going into the gutter, right? Avoiding the strike, avoiding hitting head on what your purpose of God is. And I don't know if I've unpacked that quite that way, but it's just it. We as Christians sometimes go this way. I'm guilty of it. Go right into the gutter. We're not going to score anything for the kingdom. Not that it's a, a sporting event. Not that we're keeping score. Hit head on the enemy. You know, Paul and Barnabas hit head on the enemy, walked right up to him and said, you, right, you are deceitful, liar. Oh, no, oh yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I've never experienced seeing somebody, making somebody blind with the Holy Spirit to address their being um, deceitful. But what a powerful example of what, you know, the kingdom of God can do to confront the enemy. So that's another reason that, you know, we need missionaries. That's why we need to go outside of this building. We're here on Sunday. We fellowship. We exhort one another. We lift each other up. And guys, we got to go out. And I know you guys are going out, so please don't take this in a negative way. I know a lot of you personally. I, I know you're going out. I know your ministries are in your home. Your mission work is either bringing kids in or sending kids out. So I just encourage you to continue that work and realize that even in the smallest of experiences we have or the smallest of encounters, there's transformation. I can guarantee that the lady at Goodwill had a better experience or knows God a little bit closer or wants to know God a little bit more simply from a prayer and a hug, right? Her last exposure was somebody loving her when she had a time of need. And that's really what it's about. Um, So why am I telling you this? So Pat and Teresa asked me to come up here and share about missions, share about giving for a single purpose, and that is to um, support somebody in the mission field. So Church on the Street over the years, and, and Pat and Teresa can correct me if I'm wrong, we've supported and continue to support um, the Miambo family who are in Africa, part of Iris, Kenya, that I'm going to talk about. We've also supported other missionaries in different phases, going to different places. Um, but when you look at support, and, and maybe some of you who have been in the field can attest to it, having a consistent level, predictable, can really help you to plan. So the folks that, you know, I'd like to kind of um, discuss and petition for and, you know, ask permission of, I guess is a better, I don't know another better way to put it, Pat, or asking permission of, would you guys be in agreement with me for praying for them, for interceding for them, for fasting for them, and yes, for consistently supporting them month to month. What does that look like? It, it looks like church on the street sending them money is what it looks like. But defined amount, I don't know. They live on $350 a month. So, Pat, if you want to bring up their, their family photo. So that's the Miambos right there. That's um, Antonio in the hat or Salito, Sandra. That's Emmanuel in the middle. Um, another Salito or Antonio next to him and then Teddy on the end. There's also a fourth boy, David. He wasn't in this picture, and I don't have a picture of all of them together. I think now he is five years old. So 
And you guys may remember, they did come here as a family. So for folks that were around, I think it was, what, 2011, right around there? Yeah, they were here and they stayed over in the parsonage. Um, David was a newborn baby at that point. But so these guys, you know, they, they're solid. Um, Pat and Teresa met them when they were in Mozambique at the uh, Iris Ministries Training School there for pastors. So they were training to be pastors. They are Mozambican. They were called to Kenya, and Iris supports them and gives them the $350 a month for the family and the ministry. Um, it's five people, right, six people living on pretty much peanuts and also running a ministry where it's a little bit different. We have a lot of kids here. They have about 150 a week that come to their service, and they feed them all. So, And that is the only meal a lot of those kids get that day, sometimes two days, sometimes three days. just depends what's in harvest and when as to whether or not they're going to eat. Um, but we, we developed a relationship with them. You know, I think Pat and Teresa at the time after, in between uh, when they were introduced in 2011, were looking for missionaries to support from Church on the Street, if I understand it right. And was it Dr. Eric from, yeah, so from uh, from Kenya um, suggested the, the Miambo. So, and ironically enough, Pat and Teresa already knew them. So as an upstanding family, we took a missions trip there in 2011. Um, Went with Pat and Teresa, it was myself and Dana, and it was very interesting. Much different than Brazil, much different uh, focus. It was to see the progress, and Pat, if you want to bring up the church, that would be good, the next photos. Um, so that's Church Under the Tree. You can see in the background those those um, concrete pillars. Maybe go to the next couple, Pat, and you can roll through them. Um, that's the church that was being built at the time. So Katz had been supporting them, and with the money right, designated specifically to build a church, they would build when they had funds. So when we were there, we went and had church in not really a complete church building, but prior to that, it was church under the tree. It was whatever it took, right? It, was, it wasn't about whether they're in a building or not. It wasn't about whether or not they had provision. It was about the kingdom advancing, bringing folks together. They showed the love through a meal, right, in that began to transform the community. So, um, you know, today they they do have a church that's complete. But it's, again, a, a focal point for the community, a focal point for what God is doing in the area, and a place that kids know they can come and be loved and have their stomachs, fit, their stomachs filled. Um, now, we'll go to the next one, Pat. That's the slums. That's a picture of the slums. Um, folks live in those. And it's a little different than where I live today. And it's very uncomfortable for me to look at it knowing that they're actually human beings that are loved by God that are in there. Um, easy to put up a picture like this and say we should support them. But, you know, when we have a family like the Miambos that are honoring God, that put... So over the years, I've sent them money. They would send me emails saying, Mark, you know, I know this is designated for this, but we don't have any food. Is it okay if we use a little bit to eat? Guys, you know how humbling that is, right? 
and how honoring with what integrity they operate with to ask, can we eat over what you sent this money specifically for? You know, that, that tells me that's a character, high character, high integrity, focused on what the kingdom is. Um, now go to the next one, Pat. It's a picture of all the kids from Iris. So Iris, Kenya, these are consistently the number that come. You want to go to the next one and to prove that Antonio's there, right? He's in the midst of the kids as well. Um, all ages, all backgrounds, you know, none of them are going to school, right? School costs money. They have to have a uniform. costs about 15 to $20 a month to send those kids to school. They're living in, in poverty, living on the streets, scrounging for what they need. You know, we had experiences with them in, uh, in like a soccer field when we were there. I remember it right, and I was trying to find a photo of it, and I couldn't, but... These kids were just the worst of the worst. They were sent to the street. They sniffed glue from a shoe factory. It's shoes that you glue the bottom of your shoes on. They were sniffing the glue in plastic containers, and it was frying their brain. So by noon, these kids were trashed, and they were just like wild animals. In As long as they stayed in this soccer field area, they the police wouldn't bother them. Once a week, you know, the Miambas would go to feed them. Big pop, right? Always enough for everybody. And as we're there, we're feeding them, shoveling them out, talking to the kids. Ranges, age range from a newborn all the way up probably to 20 or so, stuck in this field. Five girls. I can't even imagine what happens to kids at night, right, and in that environment. But, you know, that's the environment they were in, and, and that's who the Miambos were called to, called to just, you know, serve the orphans because that's exactly what they were. Um, but they would feed them and, and, you know, they, as the pot got down near the end, every time the kids would act as if there wasn't going to be enough and they, and they would act like animals, turn the pot over, food would spill and the last kids wouldn't get it because they didn't think they were going to get it because they didn't know where their next meal was coming from. Their mindset's so different than ours that it, it, it just didn't make any sense to me at the time, but if I was scrounging for a meal and that was the only meal I was going to get, I can see where they came from. But it's still the love of the king, the love of the Miambos and the love of the ministry that draws them in to feed those kids. Um, they do it, you know, every every Saturday, every Sunday, they're feeding the kids. Um, go to the next one, Pat. I think it's, so that's the inside of the church now, right? So the funds over the years from 2011 when we went to today, they actually have a building um, I did send them some funds to build a kitchen, not redoing the kitchen, not design on a dime, not, you know, HGTV kitchen. This is a pad that's about as big as here, concrete with a hip metal hip roof. And that's the kitchen. They cook on a pot in the middle of it. Um, a little bit different than maybe some of us are, are, are used to, but they are doing exactly what they need to do with what they have to advance God's kingdom and fill them bellies with love. Um, I want to read to you that I got an email from, from Sandra because there's also another aspect of Iris and it's called Stop for the One. So what that is is you can go online, stopforthone.org. You can donate and you can direct that donation right to Iris Kenya. So there's different aspects of Iris. This is sponsored by 
you know, iris in Mozambique, the main one, but you can designate it to any of the, the branches throughout iris. Um, and so I designate funds to there, and it's specifically to feed the kids. And so it's, and others have as well, but the, you know, the word for the Miambos is not out like it should be, you know, but we're going to start to leverage Facebook. We're going to start to leverage social media. And, of course, I want to leverage Church on the Street to be able to provide some consistent support so they can, instead of just survive, they can thrive, right? Instead of just taking care of themselves, feeding the kids once a week, they can feed the kids every day. They can send all the kids to school that come to them, right? They have the, the resources and funding to be able to transform the culture where they're at, just like we have the ability to transform the culture right where we're at. Um, but this is from Sandra, and, and it's, it's good. We're so excited. We have children's church on Saturdays, but as many of our children only receive one meal a day at home, they often had to miss church in order to go and find food to fill their empty tummies elsewhere. As their pastors, this was very difficult for us to see. This time of sadness came to an end a few months ago when Stop for the One started giving us money to feed our children on Saturdays. They now know if they come to church, they will be able to spend time in praise and worship, do a Bible study, play together without worrying about where their next meal will come from because a fresh, hot-cooked meal with love awaits them. Last Saturday, we had Sima, delicious soup made with beans, onions, carrots, garlic, green peppers, and cabbage. We organized the children into groups by age, joined the tables for them so that they could eat together. We now, now see new little faces arriving at church every week who are not coming just for a meal, but for a Bible story and games as well. The parents are also starting to come to church on Sundays as they see that the love of, real, of love of Jesus really does look like something. That to me was huge. Love of Jesus really does look like something, right? There's a, there's a presence of God, a Holy Spirit that lives within us, and then there's a physical, what does it look like? It looks like providing my need when I need it, right? That person comes to you and they're hungry, you give them food. That's what Jesus looks like. That's the tangible presence of God. Need a clothes, give them a clothes. Need a jacket, give them a jacket, right? That's what it looks like. We say thank you, Jesus, and thank you to all who donate to Stop for the One. You've made that possible. And we and our children are so grateful. And she's, she put up Proverbs nineteen seventeen: Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. He will reward them for what they have done. Um, you know, Pat, go to the, the photo. That's one. Let's stop for the one that's them eating, right? Big bowl. There's no silverware, guys. They eat with their hands, right? They scoop it out like a shovel and eat with their hands. Um, yeah, so I think that, again, the, the integrity of the ministry, the reasons to give are significant. But when we look at why we should give, you know, I mean, my, my take on giving is, uh, and my take on church, two things that have transformed over the years. Um, yes, I come to church to praise and worship God but I come to accomplish his mission. What's his mission for me today, right? Um, I'm at a point where I don't need milk anymore. I can feed myself. I'm, I'm, you know, feeding on the meat of the word. So when I come, I come looking for an assignment. God, what's my assignment here today? What is my assignment to advance your kingdom? It's kind of a different way. With giving, I look at it a little bit different. You know, Pat will talk about the tithe, talk about giving. I view it as God what do you want me to do? And when he tells me, I do it. And 
that principle has served, I say served me, served God well. And with that, he's trusted me with additional provision, right? I'm, I'm like Paul, I've learned to live in content with or without. Um, and I think through that, he's blessed all kinds of different aspects in my personal life financially. And it's allowed me to be, you know, if I'm, if I'm, you know, a good steward with a little, I'll be a good steward with a lot, right? He's entrusted me with the ability to do that and, and my family, and I'm grateful for it and thankful for it. And I don't take it lightly. Um, when personally I give, once it leaves my hands, it's gone. I don't think about it again. I don't think about what's that person going to do with it. I don't think about, well, are they going to take it and spend it on drugs? I don't care. I don't. Are they going to do this with it, that with it? I don't care. It doesn't matter. That's not my assignment. My assignment is to do what God told me to do. That's to hand it over, right? And guess what? God will work out what he needs to work out between that individual and him, right? He's way bigger than I am. He's way smarter than I am. And I try to simplify the approach for myself anyway. That's, that's kind of how it works for me. Um, Pat, if you want to bring up X, I'm at... 2024, see if I can tie this together a little bit. So, doesn't consider his life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course, the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, testify solemnly to the gospel of grace of God. So, again, it's all about God. What does he want you to do? When does he want you to do it? And how? Um, I think the other the other part of it is, you know, we give, and the principle of the Bible is that you get blessed by that. Is that self-serving? It is. It's very self-serving when you think about it. But it's also a principle of the kingdom. I'm always more blessed when I'm given. Always more blessed. Is it prideful? No, I don't think so. I just think that's a kingdom principle that manifests itself every single time I'm willing to be obedient to what God wants me to do. Um <clears throat> Well, we're close on time. All right, so just one more one more scripture and I'm done. And then I'm going to ask that, you know, you guys, we just pray, commit to praying and, and providing. This Philippians 4, 10 through 20 is a little bit long, but I think that it is, uh, you know, the, the call on the life was, was, call on Paul's life was pretty clear. Um, and he was pursuing it with or without support from anybody, right? The call in the Miambo's life is clear. They're pursuing it with or without support, but they need support. So in this scripture, you know, um, the Philippian church supports Paul, sends him provision. Does he need it to continue his ministry? He doesn't. Does he, is he excited about it? Absolutely. He's very thankful about it. And I think that the Philippian church was led to give it. They had a relationship, both uh, personal and spiritual, with Paul. And Paul sent back blessings to them in the realm of prayer as a result of it. So just read it real quickly. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at last you have received your concern for me. So the church received concern for him. Indeed, you were concerned before. You lacked opportunity. Today is a day for church on the street to have opportunity. Now that I, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled, going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you gave a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Right? To your account. So Paul is, is focused on their account. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance. Amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. A fragrant aroma, acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, so... The ministry of the Miambos is going to continue, whether or not we support them. They're going to be committed to the call of God on their life. The need there is great. I've experienced it myself. I know it is, um, it's dire. The average salary is $2 a day. The cost of goods at the market we went to was the same as it is here. So the poverty is rampant, and there are orphans and widows that need our care. I think that we're commissioned not only here locally, but commissioned as a body to support missions. Um, I think the Miambos are a worthy mission. I think Iris Kenya is a worthy mission to be supported by Church on the Street. I think it would be an honor for them, an honor for us, if we could you know, commit to doing that as a body on a consistent basis. We've done it like this. But it would be nice just to do it predictable. And even if the level of giving isn't a ton, and say, one, for example, one month we get $1,000, next month we get 100 If we commit to 300 we just bank the rest. And it's steady. There's always some there, and it's steady. And it's a separate fund. Um, you know, Pat, Tracy, you guys may have a different plan for that. That was just – I threw that out there as a bonus. Um, so sorry if I – if you got to do something, some damage control for that one, then, you know, forgive me. But, yeah, I, I think that our commitment to pray for them, intercede for them, fast for them, and get, re, get consistent updates. You know, I'd like to be able to provide consistent updates from you, um, for you, from them, and, yeah, garner their support. So, honestly, Pat, that, I think that's it. I'm, I'm wrapped up, so. Well done. So just stay here for one second. And so what we're going to do, what, I'm, what we're asking you to do is to just ask the Lord what you would do. And seriously, if it's five bucks a week per family, it will be, I mean, it could be 50 would be okay too. But if it's five or $10 a week per family that we just give it every single week, if you're not here for a week, next week it's 10 bucks. And we're going to just, whatever it is that people commit to, right? Our yes is yes, the Bible says, as a Christian, then that's going to just get sent over there. And at $350 a month, they don't have anything right now, nothing. And if, if we, $350 seems like very little, but it would double what they have right now. So that's your assignment is to pray, and then next week I'll give you instructions about what to do. Um, matter of fact, maybe 
well, I'll tell you more about that next week. It's, it's very late. Let's just pray for Mark because Mark and Anna have been supporting the Miambos. I mean, what we do is we send them, we'll get a, an email or something from Salito. It'll be like, oh, my gosh. And we'll just ask Dana to, you know, scrounge up $2,000 and send it. So we've been responding to emergencies over the course of the last four or five years, but not f- supporting them as a regular support, and, and we want to help them that way. But these guys have been, I mean, substantially just really awesome. And I praise God for what he